Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. And now, this is the moment you've all been waiting for. We are live on the Charity Stripe Podcast with your hosts, Alex, Josh, and Nick. Hi, everybody. Howard David live. We get it going on a Thursday with Andy Vasquez of the Newark Star-Ledger, who attended the uh, Aaron Rodgers press conference yesterday. Before I ask you any questions, Andy, was it catered? <laughs> well, the Jets do a great job of actually giving us food a few days a week during the season. And uh, honestly, the draft is one of the best weeks of the year because it's it's three uh, days of pretty good food and, and including sometimes some ice cream. So we'll see what comes later this week. But it, it was just a normal like uh, I think it was tacos yesterday. I got there a little late, so right. I didn't get any of the food. But yeah, they, they took care of us. And there was a large crowd. And I think uh, that's going to be a, a, a new theme. It's going to be a little bit more crowded around the Jets for, for me and my colleagues who cover the team every day this year. Yeah. You know, it was interesting to me. Uh, when he walked into the room, uh, he I don't know, I just got an impression over the last 40 some odd days when the deal wasn't done. And based on the Jets history, everybody was expecting the whole thing to just fall apart, weren't you? I think in the back of my mind, I thought if it got past the draft without the trade happening, that it ultimately wouldn't work out. So, I, I mean, there was despite all the noise over the last 40 days. What you never heard was anything credible that Aaron Rodgers was wavering on his commitment that he intended to play for the Jets. And I thought that always boded well for him ending up here, but just things would have gotten weird and much more complicated after the draft, because then there wouldn't have been a deadline until week one, really. Uh, and I and I thought things could have spiraled and probably would have spiraled. So I, I know the Jets Probably, I mean, they definitely overpaid when you consider that if Aaron Rodgers were to get hurt before the season and the Jets would end up sending, a, you know, two second round or a sec, yeah, two second round picks to Green Bay for nothing. I mean, I think that ends up being an overpay. I have a problem with like the compensation on the second pick. But also, I mean, I think this is going to change a lot of things for the Jets, including the way the team looks at itself in the locker room. And, and uh, if, they, if they're playing deep into January and, and, into February, no one is going to care about that second pick. So it, it is, it is fascinating. And it's been a, it's been a wild ride, a wild, uh, you know, 40 days there where, you know, it, it did end up having a happy ending for the jets for now. I mean, we got to see how it works out, but yeah, I thought it could have gone the other way for sure. If it had gotten past this week. Yeah. Everybody's saying, well, who got the better end of the deal? I don't know how you can determine that uh, today. Uh, until after the season, because if he gets the Jets into the playoffs, then the deal was worth it. Uh, they haven't been there in 12 years. Uh, now they have an opportunity. And I think from Rogers' point of view, when he looked at the Jets, he sees a young team that's got a lot of talent in that wide receiver room, for one, the tight end room, the running back room. The only thing we don't know right now, how solid is that offensive line going to be? And that was interesting because he went, uh, we had, we obviously talked to him and everybody saw what was televised yesterday, but he, and we talked to him for about 15 minutes, uh, probably a group of about 25 of us, maybe a little bit less, but, um, 
and he brought up, he went through stud tight end, stud, stud running back, stud wide receiver, great wide receiver depth. And he was like, oh, you know, the offensive line, there's some uh, work to be done, but there's a lot of guys with potential. So he knows. Um, and that was the only thing he wasn't like super positive about yesterday. So I think, yeah, they've got some question marks on the offensive line. I think they have ways that they can kind of finagle it. Elijah Vera Tucker, they've said they're going to put him back at guard. I think if they have problems at tackle, uh, they're not going to leave him at guard. They can move him to tackle because they have, you know, those question marks. Makai Becton, and then you got a guy in Dwayne Brown who's going to be 38. Makai Becton hasn't played a full game since 2020. So he looks like he's in great shape. Uh, he has a high ceiling, but like you just don't know. So I think, yeah, I think they have to draft an offensive lineman today, uh, probably with with that either that first round pick or that second round pick, and then still be looking to improve the situation in free agency. But yeah, I think like when you look at it and and that was the other thing that was surprising to me is during the press conference, he was like, you know, I'm not going to talk about beyond this year, but after he said, I'm not looking at this as a one and done deal. And I think he's looking like next year, Brees Hall will be hundred percent to start the season next year. They may have some more stability on the offensive line and a little bit uh, more freedom to add some weapons. So yeah, I, I, that, that to me, and I said this before we came on was what stood out the most uh, his commitment and how excited he was to be with the Jets. And uh, this was like truly what he wanted. And and I think that's a powerful thing, both for, for the Jets and for him moving forward. He's Andy Vasquez of the Newark Star-Ledger covers the uh, New York Jets. Uh, I think when he looked at the Jets, aside from the talent that was there, the one comforting factor was Nathaniel Hackett, the offensive coordinator. He's got a history with him. Uh the offensive system is something he's familiar with. Uh, he's got one of his receivers, Alan Lazard, with the team. So, you know, you've got a lot of things that makes him comfortable. And I I, I have to believe that plays a, a big role. Well, I think Hackett played a huge role. One of the things that Roger said yesterday is when they work together, he would hug him every day and say, and say to him, thanks for making this fun again. Um, and he also called him a great teacher. And, and we talked to Hackett yesterday also for the first time, and he you know, for all the stuff that happened last year, I've never really associated or dealt with him, but, but he's a, he's an impressive guy. He's got a great energy to him. I, I know his head coaching uh, situation did not go well, went about as poorly as it could go, but he has had some success as a coordinator and obviously a lot of success working with Rogers for both of those MVPs uh, in 2020 and 2021. So I think that, I don't think Aaron Rodgers is with the Jets if they hadn't hired Nathaniel Hackett. I, I really don't. Uh, or I think it's a much, much, much less, much less of a chance. Um, and yeah, Lazard, he he talked about how he kind of, you know, banged his fist on the table for Lazard to get him an opportunity and and that he's thrilled that he ended up getting paid. And, and you know, how Lazard may may not have ended up with the Jets either, if not for Hackett. So um, it's a comfortable situation for him. And, and he also talked about buying into what Joe Douglas is doing and what Robert Sala is doing and how last year, when he said, quote, the Jets smoked us, which they did in Green Bay, it, it kind of was eye-opening to him. So, um, yeah, you can kind of see, uh, I asked Robert Sala yesterday what, like, Joe Douglas was saying uh, in his pre-draft press conference that Rodgers wanting to come to the Jets, it's a sign of validation for everything that, that Sala has built. And I asked him about it. He's like, I'll, I'll leave that for you guys to decide. But I will tell you, if you had told me two years ago that Aaron Rodgers would be our quarterback here. I would have told you you were crazy. So it, you can just kind of see where things have been trending. And I, it's hard to argue with him. I mean, I know the Jets landed Le'Veon Bell a couple of years ago, and I know 
you know, that kind of stuff. But like this has changed uh, the perception externally of the Jets that Robert Sala and Joe Douglas have done that. And now it's Roger's job to make sure that internally the perception changes. Because I think internally when stuff started to go wrong last year in those last six games, it was like the the Jets believed in the locker room, kind of that outside noise, like, oh, here we go again. And I think Rodgers is a guy who could help them kind of overcome that. And that's what they need to do now. Andy, I'll go back. Uh, when I was broadcasting Jets football with Dave Jennings, uh, 1998 rolled around and Vinny Testaverde had his best year as a pro. Uh, Curtis Martin, I believe, led the league in rushing. But they brought in Brian Cox uh, to really uh, to anchor that defense. More importantly than that, his leadership and the value that that presented to the organization. Now, here's Aaron Rodgers. Now, I'm not comparing him to Brian Cox, completely different individual, but he does provide leadership. And the fact that he's here right now to get things right away, get things right with the rest of the team, I think is a big thing. Well, it's, it's leadership and it's validation. It's, it's when Aaron Rodgers, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, walks into your locker room and says, I want to be here because I think you guys can win a championship and you need to start believing it. Like, it's a lot easier to believe that like, Hey, what we're building here is the right thing. And, um, you know, even for some people like us in the media, like you can see things are changing, but it, it gives uh, that validity to like Aaron Rodgers knows more about what it takes to win the NFL than I do. Let's be honest. And any other reporter, no matter what they want to tell you. And the fact that he is staking his legacy and I think he's staking his legacy because if this goes badly, it's going to be a part of his legacy. But he's also he knows what can happen. He talked about this yesterday. What can happen if he wins here? Because you see it, well, you know, 55 years after Joe Namath has won a Super Bowl. Uh, if Joe Namath walks into a, a room in this city or in this region, everybody in the room gravitates toward him. And, and right. so I think he knows what's at stake. Uh, so it's it's just kind of everything. It, it just gives validation. It should give this locker room validation. And I think that can be very powerful because I think last year you saw that they did have the talent to play with any, almost anybody in this league. I mean, really anybody. So um, something else was missing and now they have it. Now it doesn't mean it's all going to work out. It doesn't mean they're going to have the injury luck they had last year. Uh, they still have some deficiencies, obviously that they need to fill and, and young guys who need to step up and continue to grow. But I think there's just a, uh, it's a different, it's going to be a different vibe. Everything's going to be different. Obviously a team that played twice on primetime in the last two years, probably going to play six times on primetime this year. Uh, it's going to be a really interesting ride and, and I'm excited to be able to, to be around and document it. Yeah. When you look at, uh, at the conference and the AFC obviously is deeper and stronger than the NFC. You look at the quarterbacks in the AFC, uh, you know, you got Mahomes, you got Burrow, you got, uh, you know, all this talent in the AFC, I certainly would put Aaron Rodgers top four quarterbacks in the AFC, would you? It's tough. I mean, you could, there, there was, there's an argument that I've been hearing, and I can't pull them all off of my, the top of my head right now, but like that he could be eighth. I don't think, I still, still think like, if you look at how he played last year, I mean, he had a rough year with the thumb and all that, but I think mm -hmm. There's every, I mean, we're talking about, he's basically like 14 or 15 months removed from his second MVP in a row. I don't think a guy with that much arm talent, you've seen like his athleticism diminish a little bit and, and obviously his pocket mobility, but that don't like, if the guy keeps his arm in shape, we've seen Tom Brady who didn't have the arm that, that Aaron Rodgers has, like he was able to be very effective until to his, so I don't think it's going away. Um, 
I think, yeah, I think it's going to depend first of all on, on how consistent and solid the offensive line is, but yeah, like I, I think, you know, Mahomes really and Burrow are the only guys I put in terms of like everything they bring. And Allen is different because he's not like, it's not pure throwing the ball. Obviously those three guys are the only ones I would even entertain putting mm-hmm. in front of them right now. Um, I mean, it's, that's, it's hard to say because Lamar Jackson can be spectacular too. So that's what I'm saying. You get into it. It's just really deep and it's really good. And I think he, the bottom line is he can be as good as any of those guys when he's on, if he's on the the way we know he's capable of. So, and that's something the jets have never had. I mean, the jets haven't had a 4,000 yard passer since 1967. They've, <laughs> I think they've had one guy throw for 30 touchdowns. If that, I don't, or maybe not ever. So um, yeah, I mean, Rogers is going to be the best quarterback they've ever had. If even if he has the year last year, it's, it could be statistically, it'll be like a top two season for a Jets quarterback. Yeah, memory serves me that Testaverde had over 30 touchdown passes in 1998. Uh, does Aaron Rodgers have to be MVP Aaron Rodgers, or can the Jets still be effective with something? And I don't mean a major drop-off. I mean, not MVP, but still a solid quarterback. How far can he take him? And even, let, me, let me, before before you answer, the schedule is going to be brutal. We don't have the schedule, but we know the opponents. Yeah. And that's going to be tough. And certainly it's going to be tough within their own division. Oh, yeah. And, and I think like it's it's definitely going to be tough. And you never kind of know how it's all going to pan out. Like last year, we all thought their schedule was, was front loaded and ended up being back loaded because all those teams ended up being good. But like, you know, their schedule is going to be tough because Kansas City, the Eagles, all those teams, Dallas, like they've got a, a bunch of tough opponents. Um I think if you look at what he did last year, I think he threw for 3,800 yards, like right. low touchdowns by his standards. If the Jets had that last year, they would have easily been a playoff team. If they had semi-competent quarterback play last year, they would have been a playoff team. So, yeah, absolutely. I think um, just him being, you know, competent is going to be such a huge upgrade for the Jets. And, like, you can expect that at the very least out of Aaron Rodgers. Even if he has, like, a terrible year, it's going to be a base level of competence that the Jets have not experienced at least in the in the eight years I've been covering the team so yeah I think he doesn't have to be MVP but if he if he is it sure would help let me before I let you go one final thing uh I mentioned about the schedule and how tough it's going to be look you know Buffalo is still the team to beat in the division Miami is improved not sure about New England but I I think if you're going to project and say can the Jets win four out of six games in the division yeah I think they can what's the number that would get him into the playoffs. Is it 11 wins? Is it 10 wins? What do you think? I think 11 to be safe just because the AFC is so much uh, better and, and deeper. Um, yeah, I think you got to you got to figure it's got to be. And I, and I think they're totally capable of, of doing that for sure. Without a doubt, like they can absolutely win 11 games, but they've got to be, you know, consistent. They've got to show that they can do what they couldn't do at the end of last year in those six games that they lost, which is finish games because they were in position to win almost right. all of those games and, and did, could not get the job done. Appreciate your time, Andy. Thanks a million. Enjoy the season. Stay safe. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. He's Andy Vasquez, the Newark Star-Ledger, talking about yesterday's press conference with Aaron Rodgers, the new quarterback of the Jets. He's the old quarterback of the Jets. No, he's not. He's eating a banana. <laughs> Whoa, whoa, whoa. We're, we're talking about my man, Cedric Maxwell. <laughs> you okay? <laughs>
The one thing you never see a black man eat is a banana while he's on air with you, all right? What are you talking about? Hey, I got to ask you this. The other day I saw a photograph when you were playing with the Celtics. Julius Irving was driving to the basket. He's underneath mm-hmm. the basket, and you're defending. I don't know if you remember the play. Probably not. But if you did, I mean, let's face it. Dr. J was, was a monster to defend. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is how I wouldn't want to remember the play. I wouldn't want to see it again. Uh, they had a, during the eighties, they had an isolation play where all the teams start doing it. They would isolate and put one guy on one side of the floor and the four other guys were on the other side of the court. And I was doc- guarding Dr. J. I sold the one-on-one. I, I, it was scary because all I remember seeing is in my peripheral was seeing 18,000 people start to stand up in the <laughs> spectrum and me sitting there saying, oh, shit, something bad about to happen. You know? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I do remember. Um, I don't want to remember, but I do remember. You always got the tough assignment. You guarded Magic Johnson. I remember one year in the playoffs, in the finals, actually. I mean, uh, I guess you had a reason to be put on these players. At least the coach thought you were. Uh, let me ask you a question then. How, how did Larry Bird become all defensive team? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. This is Howard David who told me, he said, we're experts here. You have to know everything. How did Larry Bird become all defensive team? And Kevin McHale and I used to look at each other going, how did that happen? <laughs> he now, paid he somebody off. Player. He paid he somebody great, off. <laughs> he was a great player, no doubt. But that was just kind of comical to us when we see Larry on uh, first or second, well, on the second team all defense. Let me ask you this about the game the other night against Atlanta. It looked like the Celtics were about ready to close the series out. Uh, before that last play, there's a timeout in that huddle. Um, Zula's telling his players what? Uh, you got to believe that Trey Young is going to get the ball. My question in watching it, before they came out of the huddle, I'm saying, you know, Trey Young's getting the ball. Are they going to double him? Why didn't they? I don't think that double was necessary. I think what they needed to do was maybe have Marcus Smart on it, uh, the way they were set up. I talked to a couple of the coaches, and Marcus Smart is your best defender on guard ball. And um, they had a switch. They set a pick on Marcus Smart, and Jalen Brown was on him. Not a bad defender, but not like Marcus. And he let him dribble into the shot. Uh, He never made him, I know the word we like to use now, is speed up. He never made him speed up. And because of that, it was an easy shot for Trey considering. But, you know, you have to give him, you have to give him huge huge points for taking that shot with the season being on the line from about 35 feet away with a hand in his face. I'm astounded at Trey Young at the shots that he takes and the shots that he makes. Uh, he's, <laughs> I mean, this is not new. A couple of years ago, I remember the, when the Hawks were playing the Knicks in the playoffs and Trey Young became the modern day Reggie Miller. Everybody in New York hated him. And all he did was deliver. Uh, and yet, there's a, I don't know if you've heard this, but there are there's some rumors going around that uh, he and the locker room don't get along. What do you hear? Yeah, I think that he he has kind of saved his reputation a little bit in these last couple of games because he hadn't played well for Atlanta uh, during the playoffs against the Celtics. 
But in the last couple of games, he shot the ball particularly well in, in the game in Boston, you know, to hit the game winner and to play the way they did. Uh, I think that your, your pressure has to be, as you said, maybe something a little different. Um, I remember Draymond Green saying something to the fact when uh, Golden State was playing out there against Sacramento and De'Aaron, De'Aaron Fox had the basketball. He said, I'd be damned if he was going one-on-one -on -one with one of my guys without me coming over to double. So uh, your double assessment sometimes can be good. Sometimes it opens up other things, but uh, you pick your poison sometimes. All right, tonight the series resumes. What's your feeling? Celtics win tonight, uh, ultimately at the end of the day. And, you know, I know how you like to, to pressure me a little bit, but at the end of the day, the Celtics play uh, the New York Knicks in the Eastern Conference Finals. Really? Uh, let me ask you this. And I'm a big fan of Jason Tatum's ever since he came out of Duke. I saw him in the last, in, when he played in the, in the NCAAs and I became a fan. Uh, but I can't say that we've seen the best of Jason mm -hmm. Tatum, have we? No, I think you've seen glimpses of his greatness. Last year, he was really good. Uh, the first half of this year, he was on an MVP track. And then he hit a little, he little, hit a little skid. Uh, the thing that teams are starting to do, they're starting to speed him up. And what I mean by that is they're coming with a double team, a trap. And when you get trapped with the basketball, you have to make efficient passes to make the defense pay. He hasn't done that. Sometimes he looks like he's a little frustrated and he leans back instead of leaning into the play and makes a, doesn't make a crisp pass, but a floater and those plays that they've, they've stolen the basketball. So I think the best for Jason Tatum right now is yet to come. Obviously he's still a young basketball player learning his craft, but uh, man, he has a tremendous future ahead of him. Jalen Brown has been outstanding uh, with the mask, without the mask. It doesn't seem to matter. I mean, this guy can flat out fill it up. Well, they they talked about him in, uh, uh, when the Celtics first drafted him, uh, taking third in, in the draft. And, boy, the Celtics fans were not happy. They, they were not happy. Uh, matter of fact, they booed. And Brown has been exceptional. Uh, he's going to be um, uh, all pro this year. Uh, you know, there's, there's talk, scuttlebutt. You know, that maybe he might be thinking about going other places. But I know one thing that he qualified uh, for the Supermax with the Celtics. And I think that's about $250 million. Uh, so I, I, I think that financially, uh, and even with this team, I think he's in a good spot. But, you know, there's been some talk about him not being as happy uh, in the city. But boy, he's an exceptional player. He's Cedric Maxwell, former great for the Boston Celtics now broadcaster, uh, you know as well as anybody that you miss a bunch of free throws, it could cost you. And the Celtics were only 7-13 to 13 from the foul line the other night against Atlanta. Hey, let's, let's ask Giannis about that, okay? Since yeah. you want to ask about free yeah. what, what was he, 10 for 23 yeah. Yeah. in the last game? He was petrified at going to the line. Uh, yeah, free throws will cost you. I mean, uh, I had a coach, old coach say, pennies from heaven. Uh, the Hawks were 10 for 10 in the last game. The Celtics, I think, were they missed at least six free throws in that game and lost by two. So they can be very, very critical and sometimes come back and bite you in the ass if you don't knock them down. You mentioned Giannis. I don't think there's anybody that follows the NBA that could be more surprised that Miami beat Milwaukee in the series. First time an, an eight seed 
has beaten the number one seed. But, you know, Giannis missed a couple of those games. That aside, uh, Miami Heat and the way Jimmy Butler's playing right now, I don't know if he can continue that because it's going to be tough to do what he did against Milwaukee, do the same thing against the Knicks. Uh, Jimmy Butler is, he is unbelievable. Uh, the thing that the Knicks have, I think they have uh, defensively, they might, with Tom Thibodeau there, maybe a little bit more pressure on Jimmy Butler. But man, if there's a big stage, Jimmy Butler always shows up. And uh, it's going to be, he'll be tough. He'll be tough on them. I mean, it's going to be, who is going to guard him right now for the Knicks? Uh, obviously, Miami's a little shorthanded. My, by not having Tyler Hero, but I think you, the other thing you added there is Spolstra. Spolstra is a hell of a coach, and, and he brings some other things to the table with Bam that, uh, that, that sometimes you get. They say Miami has an attitude, and I heard uh, Spolstra say the other day, he said, Jimmy Butler is that attitude that we have. He believes in him, and, and Jimmy Butler believes in that team, so there'll be a tough out. Uh, if the Knicks, when the Knicks face them, well, you you know Milwaukee's got going to be a rough off season for them. Uh, Middleton is an unrestricted free agent. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know uh, Lopez, I think, can opt out. Uh, it's his. I think it's player option for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's going to be interesting to see what happens. As for the, uh, let's just assume that the Celtics wind up beating the Hawks tonight and go on and play uh, the Philadelphia 76ers. Obviously, you got to deal with Embiid. You got to deal with Harden, but primarily Embiid. Uh, Robert Williams, can he stand up to that task? I think he can defensively. He's a hell of a player. He puts tremendous pressure on you. But can Embiid stand up to that? Uh, and what I mean by that is just physically, because uh, everybody's been talking about his knees. Doc Rivers, in the beginning of this, um, uh, after they won their series against Brooklyn, he said, I don't think that Joel Embiid, if the game had started, on Saturday would be able to start the series. So I think a lot of pressure is going to be on Joel Embiid and the Celtics have played the 76ers extremely well um, this year. Uh, it, the last game, the 76ers beat the Boston Celtics. Joel Embiid had to get a 50 piece and they still beat the Celtics by two points. So um, I, I think the Celtics match up really well with the, um, with what they are able to do and and they just try to contain and you try to contain a guy like Joel Embiid what I didn't like when I saw Brooklyn play uh was that Brooklyn allowed the 76ers and Joel Embiid too many options if you come and double team a big guy like that who's a pretty good passer out of the double team he was just throwing the ball to corner the corner shooters and they were knocking down shots and Brooklyn never really adjusted let me ask you this. We know about Tate and we know about Jalen Brown. How has Malcolm Brogdon fit in this year? You got any gloves? Because <laughs> that's what he's done. He's been like a damn glove the way he's fit in with this team. Uh, exceptional young man, uh, stand-up guy. Uh, I think the Celtics went to New York uh, for, the, for a game um, later on in the season. Uh, Malcolm Brogdon, uh, what he did, I think that he ended up speaking at, um, at, at United Nations Forum on mm. hunger, uh, or something like that, or at the White House, one of those places that we went. And uh, man, just a, just an unbelievable kid when you think about what he does, but shooting the basketball, defending the basketball, and this year gets the 
uh, unbelievable, gets the John Havlicek Sixth Man of the Year Award. And uh, I played with John. My, my first year was John's last year. Man, what a dude. What, what an unbelievable guy uh, he was as a basketball player and a, as a person. You know, what's interesting about Havlicek, he was known primarily for his defense in college. And the fact that he became a major scorer was something nobody could predict. Yeah. John ran. John would run. He would run from the time he got off that bus to the time he got back on the bus. He was he was a, a modern NBA player. In the fact that, you know, you see guys now, they handle the basketball and they square and they dance. John didn't do that. He passed it, went to another spot. If you weren't on him, he was cutting, going towards the basket. So his his skill set uh, was, was unreal. I remember my first year, uh, him coming to camp, Red Arback let him come in maybe three days late, came in running into first practice and never stopped. I was like, this dude is a, a robot or, or a cyborg or something like that because he was so much in shape and he just, just he was constant movement. Let me ask you, you said right at the beginning of this that you think the Celtics are going to wind up meeting the Knicks in the Eastern Finals. So let's go to the West, where Phoenix is playing, as we thought. I mean, look, Denver was the number one seed. I still think Phoenix wins that series. Uh, Golden State now leads uh, Sacramento three games to two. And the Lakers look to close it out tonight against Memphis uh, and finish that series off. Uh, the Lakers make me scratch my head a lot. I mean, they had a chance to close out Memphis the other night and couldn't get the job done. And on top of that, they got blown out in the fourth quarter. Uh, it's, you know, the Lakers are, you know, look at their players. It, LeBron James, you're asking a lot. That man's 38 years old. He had 20, 20. I mean, you're, you're asking a lot of LeBron James to come back game after game. Probably has had more mileage on his legs than any athlete who's ever played the game of basketball professionally in the NBA. Uh, so, I mean, that that might be it. That might be it, the fact that he is an older player and to rev it up and to can, can consistently do that, I think is always a, a major accomplishment. And for him, maybe just ran out of gas when he got to Memphis last time and they'll try to wrap it up while they're home. But if they don't, boy, you don't want to open that up and go back mm -hmm. to Memphis. No, you're right, you're right. He said, I did not play well. I will play much better in the next game. Uh, there's a part of me that's looking for a throwback to the old days. How about the uh, Celtics playing the Lakers in the NBA Finals? <laughs> Wouldn't that I, be something? I, look, I, I know that would be a dream scenario for all you old heads and somebody like me, James Worth. We would salivate, but I think that there's some teams right now has a lot to say about that. In particular, to me, I think it's going to be the Phoenix Suns hmm. that come out of the West because of their firepower. Uh, the only thing that they don't have as much is you you got to get to their bench. But their starting five, man, might be as good as any in the NBA. When you're talking about experience and uh, shooting the basketball and Durant has, has come back in, you know, almost well-rested because of the injuries he's had. And, uh, you know, he's, he's just rounding in the form. No, it's a good point. I wouldn't look past Golden State. They know how to win. Uh, the, uh, Steph Curry, you need a guy for a big shot. We talked about Trey Young. Steph Curry knows how to make the big shot at the right time. I'm trying to figure this out, and I've said this before. If I had a guy, and I'm thinking over my career and thinking of the annals of the NBA, if I had a guy to take one shot 
it probably would be Kevin Durant. And because not, not to say Steph Curry isn't a better shooter, I think he is with his range, but Kevin Durant is a seven-footer with guarding the ball, handling the ball at six foot five, can get to the hoop, dunk on you, he can shoot over you, he has uh, unbelievable range, quickness. He's the guy I would pick to take a first shot, take a last shot, if in fact I was thinking about anybody. He, although I, you know, Larry Bird was exceptional. This this guy, he's he's seven, he's seven foot one. And uh, you know, he just shoots over defenders. Yeah, no, you're right. What do you think about Dime Adoka uh resurfacing now as a coach of the Houston Rockets? You're not surprised, are you? I'm a little surprised. You know, I got a call uh probably about 10 days ago from the great Elvin Hayes, who played with the University mm -hmm. of Houston, ended up playing in Washington. Uh, with the Bullets at that time, won a championship. And uh, just out the blue, he called me. I was like, what is he calling me about? And I finally answered. And I was like, Elvin? He said, yeah, yeah, Cornbread, what's going on? Da, 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 just small talk. And then all of a sudden he said, do you have uh, Ime's number, Ime Adoka's number? Uh, you know, what happened when, can you tell me what happened when he was with the Celtics? I, I didn't really know what to say. And I didn't really have the number. And then for it to kind of circle back and him to get the job, it's just really in, kind of interested right now on why he really called me because I know the Rockets had the number. Only thing I could think, maybe he was, had some information. He was trying to get somebody a job that was coming into, uh, when Ime was coming to uh, the Rockets. I got to tell you, the other day, uh, no, it's much more than the other day, a couple of weeks ago, when Rick Pitino was named the coach at St. John's, uh, and then I saw his press conference. And when he was running the press conference, I was thinking of you with Patino's facial look and the eyes getting bigger and shaking his head. And I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> Max would probably crack up if he saw that. <laughs> that you, when Rick was, was wanted to get that point across, as you said, the eyes got bigger and bigger. <laughs> and, uh, you know, what an unbelievable career he's had. And, and life, really, you think about his life. As a coach, uh, in 1977, I actually played against Rick Bettino when he's assistant coach at Syracuse. Really? Under, under Jim Beheim. So uh, I've known Rick for a long time. Uh, and then got just known a little bit in Boston. Uh, but, uh, man, for him to make that turn and to come back to the New York area and to try to make that team relevant again, that that is a that's a nice little swing because uh, you know he he could he can really get some things done in college. The only thing I worry about college now is the guys leave so soon. They'll mm. get in the portal, they're gone. I mean, you one week you have them, the next week they're you know they're playing for somebody else's team or an opposing team with some of the money that's out there. No, I think he'll do a good job. There's no question about his ability. I always thought he was a better college coach than he was in the NBA. I didn't think his college philosophy worked in the NBA, certainly not in Boston. But let's be fair. I mean, the, the guy has got a great reputation. Uh, I think, he, and he's already got three kids that have transferred from other colleges to play for him. Well, I, I, I believe what you're saying. I think the only thing that got in, in Coach Patino's way when he was in Boston was maybe uh, Coach the GM uh, uh, Patino. Uh, the general manager and uh, some of the moves that he he made. Uh, you can look back on them now and, and you can say, well, eh, that wasn't, you think it might have any Chauncey Billups. Uh, you got him with the third pick in the draft and 
uh, he was not patient at all. I think Chauncey might have lasted maybe two months or so right. uh, before he was set packing. Uh, and then we, you go out and get Travis Knight, and you say he's one of the best offensive rebounders uh, in the NBA when he was standing beside Shaq. Uh, but, you know, I, I think that's one. Of the, and then you had Rick Fox already who wanted to go on the contract and David Wesley and you're under the salary cap. I think that he just wanted to pull the trigger just a little too fast. And, and patience is a virtue when you're in that situation. And I don't think Rick was patient at all. No, you're right. And to underscore what you're saying, I'm sitting courtside before a game, maybe an hour or so before the game, making some notes. And John Connor, the uh, team's uh, uh, equipment guy, came out and said, coach wants to see you. I said, really? So I went to the locker room and I said, you're looking for me? He says, yeah. He says, you know Kenny Anderson, right? I said, very well. He, uh, I said, why? Well, I'm thinking of making a move uh, for him. Uh, and I said, well, who would you trade? He said, uh, Chauncey Billups. And I looked at him and I said, coach, my opinion doesn't matter to you. I would not do that. He said, why not? And I said, first of all, I think Chauncey Billups is going to wind up being a really good player. And Kenny Anderson is now 30 years old and he's an old 30. Uh, I, I just wouldn't make the move. I, I, I love Kenny Anderson. He came to my daughter's wedding. I mean, I love the guy, but I would not make this move. Well, he didn't listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> He didn't listen to his son, Richard, either, because Richard said, Dad, you trade Chauncey Billups, I'm leaving home. And Rick said to his wife, can we still have children? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that was, it. obviously, you look at that. And Rick came in and, and you know, and give and step back for a second. Give ML Carr credit for kind of stirring the team the wrong way. Uh, the Celtics had two first-round picks that year. And they thought that those picks could be one, Tim Duncan. Right. And I think they, you know, maybe the second, but they ended up being the third and the fifth. And it was, or, or maybe the sixth with Ron Mercer. And uh, I, I even curse today when I see Tim Duncan. Tim Duncan uh, was the assistant coach for the Spurs a couple of years ago. I saw him walk on the court in Boston. I said, Timmy, it cost me some damn rings. And he looked at me, like, oh, Brad, man, I'm sorry, man, I'm sorry. So, so yeah, I, I think that maybe bad luck and also impatience probably cost Rick Pitino an opportunity to do what he wanted in Boston. If he gets Tim Duncan, how does that work out? Yeah. Uh, does he coincide with Tim? Uh, does he change his style? So I, I think it would be a, if he had had that guy, maybe some different things might have happened. No question about it. And my uh, one of my favorite stories got me in trouble. We were doing a game somewhere, and Ron Mercer went one against three. And I said to you, I don't think that Ron Mercer would pass the salt at Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> and, and Rick, Rick, a couple of days later, called me in, in, uh, on the phone in my hotel room. He said, come on down. I'll have a cup, 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 a cup of coffee. I said, what's up, coach? He said, I got a complaint about what you said about Ron Mercer. And I said, uh-huh. And it was Jimmy O'Brien's wife that complained, his assistant coach. And he said, did you say Ron Mercer wouldn't pass the salt at Thanksgiving dinner? I said, yeah, I did. And he's looking at me and he's got a smile on his face. I said, well, is that, he said, he said it's true and it's funny, but you might want to phrase it a different way another time. <laughs> I mean, I don't. That, that's the one thing I always 
admired when as as a broadcaster. One of the things you always told me, look, if you can't tell the truth, your credibility is shot. Sure. And uh, and that was one of those learning curves that I learned from you that I love. Uh, you know, we always tell that story about you and I. I, I, I will always remember our San Antonio experience, you know, and, and it reminds me of Charles Barkley. And he was talking about, you know, some of the size of the women down in uh, San Antonio, you know, eating the charros. <laughs> he was like stuffing them in. And they came out before the game. I mean, you and I were, were doing a, uh, we're probably doing a, a pregame show. And they, and all these women came out and they were, it was more, they were more than healthy, but they were in spandex. And you looked and your eyes got so big and they started doing some dance and you lost it. You, you lost it. I lost it. Our engineer back, Howie Sylvester at the time said, you guys got to be more professional at that. And we were thinking, if you were here to see this, you couldn't be professional either. So I do remember that that crazy incident with you and I in San Antonio many moons ago. Now, like in Cleveland, we were up, up in the second deck calling the game, and Paul Pierce took a bad shot, and I said, you might want to talk to your guy about his shot selection. He said, I'll do it now, and you took your headphones off, stood up, and looked at him and said, hey, Paul, why'd you take such a stupid shot? Well, I was <laughs> gone. I was gone for the rest of the game. <laughs> well, you asked me to do it, okay? <laughs> and, one, and, you know, here's one of the famous – Howard moments with me that I that I hark back on. I have the picture today was the time you were you you love this guy. You love Bill Cosby. And we happened to be in the middle. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And Bill Cosby was on the other side of the floor. He was talking to Kendall Gill. Uh, and you're like, man, I really love that guy. Really, I would love to get him on air one day. And I said, You do? I said, okay. I walked over, introduced myself. And he came over and he was on the air with you and you could have paid. You didn't know if I was coming or going because you were so happy. <laughs> I love well, it. You is just, there, you there's, there, there's something more to that story. Uh, I appeared on the Cosby show, not the one with the kids, the show that followed after with him and Felicia Richard or mm -hmm. a retired couple in Queens. I auditioned uh, for a role as a sportscaster. Cosby went out of the stands and, and, and his number was called from his program and he had to shoot a shot for a million dollars. That was the scheme of the show. So I auditioned for it and got and got the job. And so it was at the Meadowlands preseason game against, um, I want to say Orlando, if I'm not mistaken. And he had to take a shot from half court and he tried on a number of shots. And then finally with editing, they, they, he made the shot. So that was the whole premise of the bit. So after it was over, you know, I said, Bill, I said, it's really been a pleasure working with you. I, I got to tell Then we, now we fast forward to the Meadowlands and he was sitting across the way. And if you remember, he gave me a big hug because I wrote him a letter telling him when his son was murdered in LA. I told him how badly I felt for him as a father. And he said, I really appreciated that letter. I got it. Wow. Wow. What a moment. Yeah, that was that was uh, that was a really that was that was bittersweet, as you said, the story you're telling. But it was just as funny to see, you know, what a um, how how you just loved the interview you did with him oh, later yeah. on. 
Oh, yeah. Hey, remember the words Rick Pitino? Larry Bird's not walking through that door. Kevin McHale's not walking through Robert Parrish is not walking through that door. And if they are, they'd be old <laughs> yeah. and great. You're the best, Max. Love you, man. Uh, enjoy right. the game tonight. All right. Take it easy. Cedric Maxwell. I love that guy. I mean, I worked with him for four years in Boston doing the Celtics. I never laughed more than working with that guy. And you could tell in the conversation we've had, we had a lot of good times, a lot of laughs. The team wasn't very good. So we had to find another way to keep the audience together. And they didn't make the playoffs in the four years we were there. But they really didn't. I mean, they had Paul Pierce, who was a great player, Hall of Fame player. Uh, Antoine Walker um, was a good player, not a great player. Uh, Kenny Anderson played with them for a while. They really didn't have a cohesive unit. And defensively, they weren't very good. They were one of the worst defensive teams in the league. Uh, Patino cared more about uh, high-powered offense, uh, a lot of fast breaks, uh, you know, and volume of shots, a lot of threes. It didn't work out. But having said that, it was a a time of my life and my career that I'll never forget. And working with Cedric was uh, a trip. Uh, He is more fun than, uh, I mean, I work with a lot of great analysts in my time. But Cedric, without question, was the funniest dude I've ever been around in my life. And it just, every game, we just laughed. We just laughed, had a good time. But, you know, I wish they would have won more. And maybe if they had gotten Tim Duncan in the draft, they would have been a better team. And Patino might have been there for a long time. But I wish Coach Patino luck with St. John's. Uh, great school with a great tradition, uh, fashioned by Lou Karnasek, the Hall of Fame coach. Uh, who was a phenomenal coach in the Big East, where there were a lot of good coaches. So had a good time. It was fun. Thanks to Cornbread Maxwell. Thanks to Andy Vasquez of the Newark Star-Ledger for his report on the uh, Aaron Rodgers move yesterday. Uh, One final note about Aaron Rodgers. I think he's an outstanding quarterback. Now, the Jets also got Brett Favre back in the day from Green Bay. This is not the same. Brett Favre was... Pretty much at at the end of his career, he was not the quarterback that Aaron Rodgers still is today. Even he's going to turn 40 in December. Aaron Rodgers can still play at a high level. And he didn't come to the Jets just to play for the franchise. He came to the Jets because he sees there's talent here. And I think he's going to do a great job. I really do. And I don't think this is a one-year deal. I wouldn't be the least bit surprised if Aaron Rodgers was here for three years. Really. I think he keeps himself in great shape. Got a great arm. He's got a great talent around him. Excuse me. That'll make him what he is. Uh, Look, the Jets nearly made the playoffs last year without a quarterback to speak of. Now they have one. Now they have talent. Their defense is terrific. We'll see what the offensive line is. That's the last piece to the puzzle. We'll see how that all shakes out. I'm Howard David. Thanks to my guys. Thanks to all of you for being a part of Howard David Live. You stay safe.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.